Tabernacle Presbyterian Church presents Sunday with Tab. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, located at 34th and Central in Indianapolis, welcomes you to Sunday with Tab. Today, Pastor John Gable delivers the message entitled, Speaking for God, Christ the King. We'll also have music from the Sanctuary Choir. So join us now from Tabernacle Presbyterian Church for Sunday with Tab. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel. It's his first chapter, verses 1 through 17. Listen now to the word of God as recorded by Matthew. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the son of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, 
and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eloid, and Eloid the father of Eleazar, and, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, who bore Jesus, who was called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. We say thanks be to God. We might also say thanks be to Terry for reading. <clears throat> I'm sure she will say thank you, John, for allowing me to read. Terry, thank you. I say thank you to Wednesday Bible Study for forewarning for me. For forewarning you. The Wednesday Bible Study folks came and found Terry right away and said, oh, you got to read the scripture before Sunday morning. So our second gospel lesson comes to us from John's gospel, the 18th chapter, picking up at the 33rd verse. Again, let's listen to God's word to us. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to them. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Amen. And let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this, the truth that you have given to us in Scripture. And we would pray now that we would add open hearts and open minds and open ears to hear your truth, embrace your truth, and live your truth. These and all things we would pray through Christ our King. Amen. There is a scene in Lord 
Lloyd Douglas's book, The Robe, in which a slave character named Demetrius pushes through a crowd in Jerusalem to see who is at the center of all the attention. And suddenly he finds himself face to face with Jesus as he is entering into the capital city on Palm Sunday. Later, another slave asks him, did you see him up close? And Demetrius nods that he had. Is he crazy? He shakes his head emphatically, no, he's not crazy. Is he a king? Again, Demetrius pauses, not sure quite how to answer, and says, no, he's not a king. Then what is he, demands the other. I don't know, mumbles Demetrius, but he's something more than a king. This is the appropriate question and answer for us on this Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday in the Christian year, uh, the Christian calendar. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, which leads us into the new year of the Christian calendar. So who is Jesus Christ? And what did he come to do? Those of you who were with us last Sunday will recall we looked to the Westminster Confession of Faith, this standard teaching written in the church in England, uh, middle 17th century, kind of the standard of reformed Protestant theology for centuries. They answers the question, and the confession does so by saying that Jesus is God's anointed one, our prophet, priest, and king. Last week we looked at Jesus as prophet, this morning we'll look at Jesus as king, next Sunday we'll look at him as our high priest. So the confession, written in question and answer form, a catechismic form, asks, how does Christ execute the office of king? And the answer it gives is, he executes the office of king in subduing us to him, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. Now, admittedly, we don't talk much about kings anymore. However, I think it's safe to say that we are more aware, we are perhaps more conversant about the workings of the royalty in recent months and years than we as Americans have ever been, perhaps. The popular television series The Crown and more recently the death of Queen Elizabeth and the ascension to the throne of now King Charles. We know more about the royal family and the monarchy, including its trials and tribulations, than perhaps we ever really wanted to know. But of particular interest about the royal family is the care and attention that is given to the proper lines of succession to the throne. Unlike our democratic process of electing leaders, the lineage of the royalty and who is eligible, and who is in line behind whom is carefully crafted and followed. It reminds us that not everyone can be a king. In much the same way, this is how Matthew opens his gospel and why he opens it in, this, in the way that he does. He cites the lineage from Abraham to King David, from King David to the deportation in Babylon, from the deportation in Babylon 
to the birth of Jesus. Why? To show us that Jesus is not just some Johnny-come-lately, but is the legitimate heir to the throne. That he's in the bloodline of King David, as the prophets foretold. And even more importantly, I believe, he tells this elaborate lineage to demonstrate that God has been preparing for the coming of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the King, for a very, very long time. If we were to summarize the teaching ministry of Jesus, the central focus of Jesus' ministry, I believe it would be very safe to say that he came announcing the coming, the inbreaking of God's kingdom into human history. Every aspect of Jesus' teaching ministry, of his healing ministry, everything about him proclaimed that the kingdom of God was at hand, that it was, at, that it was near, that it was within, and he called all of his listeners then and now to ready themselves for it and to receive it in its coming. So think of the parables that Jesus told. Most of them begin with this simple phrase, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a farmer in a field, a woman searching for a coin, a prodigal who returns home. Even in his modeled prayer, which we have prayed yet this morning, he teaches us to pray continually, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So why did Jesus talk so much about the kingdom of God? Because Jesus is, is the king. He's the initiator of this kingdom. He's the inaugurator of this kingdom. He's the chosen and anointed one, the sovereign and the Lord who would reign over this new kingdom. The Hebrew word for the anointed one, Meshach, is what we will translate Messiah. In Greek, it's translated the same, Christos, or Christ, both of which could be translated as the anointed king. So whenever we say Jesus Christ, we are not only saying who he is, we are saying what he came to do and to be. In our lesson from John's Gospel this morning, Jesus is standing trial before Pilate, the governor of the Roman province of Judea, He's been brought by Caiaphas, the high priest, and the rulers of the synagogue. Pilate himself is curious about Jesus. He's challenged by who Jesus is and what he had come to do. And as we listen in on their conversation, it seems that Pilate is not quite sure how to ask the questions that he really needs to have answered. And Jesus doesn't make it any easier for him. Are you the king of the Jews? asked the governor. Uh, why do you ask? Jesus replies. Are you curious for yourself or did somebody else tell you about me? Pilate begged off answering but still really needed to know what Jesus' intentions were. As governor of this region of Judea, he needed to know if Jesus posed any legitimate threat to the peace and the order of Roman rule. So he responds, listen, I'm not a Jew. Your own people have brought you here to me. What have you done? And Jesus answers in this way. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. 
But if my kingdom were of this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You see, Jesus in this critical moment is pointing to this coming kingdom of God, a kingdom which is far greater, has far more authority than anything that Pilate or even Caesar could muster. He tried to assure the governor that he was no threat to Rome's geopolitical sovereignty because he was introducing a kingdom that would reign over the entire universe. And of that kingdom, he was the king, albeit a king like, unlike any other. So what are the characteristics of a Messiah king? And perhaps what can we take of these characteristics and apply to those that we choose to rule us? Let me lift up four characteristics. The first quality of this king is a sense of identity and purpose. Unlike those who assume the office only to serve their own needs, King Jesus comes to serve God and his people. During the time of the French Revolution when royalty was being arrested and executed in great numbers, the story is told of the capture of a little boy prince who was the reputed son of Marie Antoinette. Rather than execute him immediately and so send his soul to heaven, which they believed would happen, this rabid mob decided first to send him to a witch named Meg so that she could pollute him and get him to deny God. Well, in that way, they believed that in his death he would go straight to hell. Well, which Meg tried as hard as she could to get this little boy to deny his faith, all to no avail. Again and again, she tried to get him to curse God, but he only replied, I will not say those awful things, I will not, for I was born to be king. When questioned by Pilate, our King Jesus answered, for this I was born, and for this reason I came into the world I came to do the work of my father. I came to seek and save the lost. I came to lay down my life as a ransom for many. The first mark of a true leader is a sense of identity and purpose. Second quality is that of character. Such leadership ability is not inherited. It is a gift which is given. It's instilled. There is something in the inner core which makes a true king. So another saga from British history which I know has been popularized. In 1936, the soon-to-be-crowned king of England, Edward VIII, gave up his right to the throne in order to marry an American, Wallace Simpson. In his radio address to the nation, he said he gave it up for the woman I love. He chose love over duty, admirable to be sure. But those closest to him also recognized that Edward never really wanted to be king at all. He didn't have that strength of will or that depth of character that was necessary. So all along the way of his upbringing, the higher-ups in Great Britain worried about his character and his commitment. His younger brother, King George VI, on the other hand, suffered from a terrible stutter. And so outwardly, he struggled greatly when he was thrust onto the throne. But he and his wife Elizabeth, 
the woman we came to know as the Queen Mom, stayed the course through very difficult times. When the Germans began to bomb London, many expected the king to ship his family off to Canada until the war was over. Instead, they all remained in London as an example of courage and tenacity to the British people. A real king is known by something that radiates from the inside out. In the 10th chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The hired hand sees the wolf coming and runs away, but the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. A true leader, a true king, has a depth of character. A third characteristic is a commitment to a vision. Jesus had a vision of the coming of kingdom of God, a vision that he could articulate in words and images such that people could see it, they could grasp it, they could understand it, even though it was unclear and seemingly far off. Jesus so believed in this vision and the inevitability of its coming that he was not only willing to live for it, he was willing to die for it. Another example from history. During World War II, the Nazis occupied nation after nation in their rapid march across Europe. When they took Denmark, they made a treaty with the Danish king, whose name happened to be Christian, that the Nazi flag was not to fly in Denmark. One day the king saw such a flag flying over the Danish government building. He immediately objected to the commanding officer. We had an agreement, he said. That flag had better be down by noon tomorrow or I'm going to send soldiers up to take it down. Well, the next day at 11.55 a.m., the flag was still flying. King Christian said to the German commanding officer, if that flag is not down in five minutes, a soldier will be sent to take it down. And the officer replied, then that soldier will be shot. And that King Christian looked that officer in the eye and said, and I must tell you, that soldier will be me. History records that the flag came down and never flew again in Denmark throughout the war because they had a king who was willing to die for his people. Chuck Colson of Watergate infamy and later founder of Prison Fellowship once said, all the kings of the world have sent out their followers to die for their causes. Jesus was the first to die for his followers. So let me add one final characteristic. True leaders, true kings, have a willingness to identify with their people. Recall in our lesson from Deuteronomy last week, Moses saying, in time God will raise up a prophet like me from among the people, one who knows us and understands us. So there's a legend in ancient Persia that the land was ruled by a wise and beloved Shah who cared deeply for the people and wanted to get to know them, wanted to know what was best for them. So one day he disguised himself as a poor man and went to visit the public baths. The water for the baths was heated by a great furnace down in the cellar, and so the Shah made his way to that dark place and sat with the man who tended the fire. The two men shared a coarse meal, and the Shah befriended him in his loneliness. Day after day, the ruler went 
to visit the man, and in time the two actually became good friends. And at last the Shah revealed to him his true identity and offered him any gift he wanted. The man looked his leader in the face and with love and wonder in his voice said, you left your palace and glory to sit with me in this dark place, to eat my coarse food and to care about what happens to me. On others you may bestow rich gifts, but to me you have given the gift of yourself. Friends, that's the gospel. That is the gospel message. This is the bold announcement of the incarnation that God in Jesus Christ has come to us and taken on human flesh. He has visited us where we are and chosen to give us the gift of himself. He's come to be our Lord and our Savior, our prophet, our priest, our king, which makes him and him alone worthy to be worshiped and served, honored, glorified, and followed. Thanks be to God and Christ our King. Amen. And let us pray. Oh Lord, we give you thanks. So great is your love. So gracious is your mercy towards us that you would come as one that we could know and love, touch, understand. We thank you, O Lord, for being our great prophet who speaks a word, our great priest who acts on our behalf, our great king before whom we bow and serve. May we receive you, trust you, and follow you this day and always. Lord, hear our prayer. You're listening to Sunday with Tab a production of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. We hope you have found inspiration and comfort in today's program. There are many ways to enjoy today's message again. Subscribe to the Tab Podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to tabpres.org, tap on the graphic marked Sermons, and select the sermon you wish to hear. While there, you can also view the entire worship service. We invite you to join us for worship this morning at Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. We're located at the corner of 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis. At 8 a.m., we have a communion service in the chapel. And at 10 o'clock, a beautiful worship service in the sanctuary. The 10 o'clock service is also live streamed on our YouTube channel, Tab Indy. For all information on the services and streaming, go to tabpres.org. That's T-A-B. PRES.org. Thanks for listening, and join us next week at the same time for Sunday with Tab. <laughs>